it's on and it works. Great, awesome. Um, I'm excited to be here and uh, let me get my little roadshow going here for you. I used to be an elementary school teacher, so there's always props. Somewhere there's always props. And when, have you ever gone to a church and seen a hula hoop that lights up on the stage, really? So that's awesome. That's going to your kids' ministry after this sermon, so I'm going to donate that. And if you want to see Zach do this at the Connection Quarter afterwards, I think it's like five bucks, and he'll be able to do that for you. No, really, I, I'm so excited to be here. Um, we have been at Bentry praying for you before Restore ever came into being. So please, after the, um, this time is over and I'm at the Connection Corner, would you just come and shake my hand and let me meet you and see your face? Because first of all, it's dark out there and I can't really see you. And second of all, uh, we were just praying for you before this ever came to be, praying with Zach and praying with Amy, praying with Matt and Emily. And so just thrilled to be here and uh, excited to see your faces. So please, um, I know you have to run probably after this, but please don't get away from me without at least a handshake. I would love to meet each one of you. As Zach said, my name is Joanne, and um, I've been on staff at Bent Tree, gosh, for low these 24 years. Um, I started when I was 12. I was very precocious. And um, yeah, so that's a lie. Anyway, um, I, I've been at Bentry for a long time, and it's my passion to teach God's word so that people can feel his love and experience his life. That's what I want to bring to you today. But I have to make a confession to you. I'm, I'm old school. Um, I still write my bills out with checks. Do you remember checks? They're paper. Do you remember those? Write with a pen and a paper and stamps. Do you remember those? There are actually still post offices in the United States, and they actually still do sell stamps. And I am practically like the only person who buys them, I think. So I still write my checks out, and I still pay my bills by checks. So a friend of mine is trying to bring me in the 21st century and teach me all about technology and banking. Because I'm kind of super freaked out about identity fraud, you know, financial identity theft and all that kind of stuff. So she taught me how to go onto my Bank of America app. Come on, I get style points for an app, right? So um, I have an, an app for my phone from Bank of America, and it sent me an alert the other day. I was like so happy. It's almost like getting a text message. The bank wants to talk to me. So I, you know, excuse me, I have to confer with my bank. So I looked on my phone, I figured out how to answer the alert, and here it was an iTunes charge for like 99 cents for extra data or something like that, or the Apple store. But anyway, the bank is alerting me when weird hits come across my account because we know that identity theft is rampant. Did you know that Texas is the fourth most, um, the, the state fourth most likely to have financial or identity fraud? It goes, um, I think it goes Nevada, or Las Vegas, I'm sure, and then California, and then Arizona, and then Texas. 12 million people a year are hit with identity theft and fraud. And the average um, loss to a bank account is about $5,100 every time that happens. And 64% of all fraud in this arena comes from your debit card, which I use all the time, don't you? I mean, we just always use our debit card. 64% of fraud is from that little card that we swipe everywhere. So when I got the alert and I dealt with that and I, I saw what was going on, I felt really good because I was protected. 
My financial identity was protected. I was feeling like, okay, no hits, I'm good. And that gave me a feeling of peace. And then I started to really make another connection about another form of identity that we have that takes hits over and over and over and over. And there's no alert system. There's no app for it. The hits just keep coming. And that is called rejection. And rejection is the number one form of hits to your personal identity. Not your financial identity. That's pretty safe. But your personal identity, how you see yourself, what you think about who you are, what you think others think of you, that thing that you think of that's you is under attack and at risk. And usually in the form of or from uh, our family of origin, the people who know us and love us best. Let me read a, a definition of rejection for you that is in uh, clinical psychology. It says, rejection is the withholding of love, affection, or approval largely by our family of origin, also by the ones we know and love. A withholding of love, affection, and approval. I experienced this when I was a little girl, I was about 10 years old, and I have an older brother and a younger brother and mom and dad at the time, and, and we were coming home from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I'm from Pennsylvania, Philadelphia area. And so we were coming home from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is like a 45-minute drive from Philly. And we were visiting these really great friends of my parents. And um, Bill and Ruth Happerset had the two most beautiful children on the planet. Even we as kids knew they were beautiful. You know when you're hanging out with a kid, even you know they're out of your league and you're 10, right? <laughs> so this is what was happening. Debbie Happerset, the girl, was two years older than me, tall, blonde, and willowy. Can you get the picture? I mean, she was just at 12. Beautiful. And then Billy Happerset was really like athletic and curly dark hair and looked like his dad. And those four people were just exquisite looking people. So we get in the car on the way home. And I don't know whether my mom and I were having words or what was happening. It wasn't always a great relationship between she and I, but she leaned her arm over the bench seat. Remember bench seats? Yeah. Okay, bench seat and looked back at me. I was always in the middle brother on one side, brother and the other monkey in the middle. She looks at me and she says, why can't you look like Debbie Hafferson? Now a 10 year old girl has no comeback. At least back in that day, there's no comeback. Later on, as I looked back on that, I'm like, I could have said to her, hey, hello, gene pool, got it from you, gene pool, right here. This is what Hummels look like. Thank you very much. Why can't you look like Ruth Happerset? There are all the things that come to you after you have a conversation. You think of all the smart, alecky things that probably would have gotten me smacked across the face. But I realized there's nothing I could have ever done to look like Debbie. I'm never in my life going to be tall and willowy, ever. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so that, that thing that my mom did, that question, that unfair question that was really rejected, went into my heart like a barb and lodged there. My dad joined in the rejection game a little bit later. My mom left our family when I was 12 years old. My dad then raised the three of us. He was a, an alcoholic. And so uh, my dad was um, trying to help me as I was bemoaning a 12-year-old girl's rejection from boys, you know, you start to like boys and, and 
they're you know, not liking you and whatever. And so my dad said, honey, let me sit you down and tell you. This is exactly what he said, holding my face in his hands. He said, honey, don't worry. Someday, somewhere, someone will look past how you look and will love you for what's inside. Again, no comeback. Another barb in my heart about who I was, who I am, my identity. Identity expresses itself in your thoughts about yourself, your feelings about yourself, and your behaviors. So here was my thinking, taking those two, and it's only a random sampling of things that were said to me as I was growing up. Maybe you have had hard, difficult things said to you as well, growing up years, even maybe today, by a spouse or a teenage child, or I don't know what you're going through, but it comes off in your thoughts. So this is what I was thinking. I am not pretty. I'm never going to be pretty but maybe I'm smart. Maybe smart is the way to go. That created feelings then of sadness, because I wanted to look like Debbie, and then anger, why didn't I look like her, and then isolation and, and anxiety, always wondering if I measured up. Can you relate to any of this, guys? Or yeah. And then the behavior. Trying, 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 trying my whole exhausting growing up years to win my parents' approval, to get people to like me. It's exhausting, guys. It's exhausting. What are the effects of rejection? So, if you can picture, like this little styrofoam cup and those words are said to you those terrible words are said this is acetone this is what ladies take off their nail polish with the corrosive effects of rejection eat away at the very identity that you think of yourself, when you think of you, these rejecting words come back in your thoughts, in your feelings, in your behaviors. It's universal. Every human being experiences rejection. Scientists did a study they put people in MRI machines and they took pictures of their brain while people were discussing their rejecting memories. Like I was just telling you mine, if you were to tell me yours and I put you in an MRI machine, do you know what part of your brain lights up when you tell your rejecting stories? The same part of your brain that registers physical pain. If I chopped you in the knees with a baseball bat, the same part of your brain would light up as if you told me 
about your prom date saying no. It's a physical reaction. It hurts. It's damaging. It, it changes us. But what if I told you that there was an antidote to this? What if I told you there was healing for this, that there was something so powerful that it could overcome the corrosive effects of the rejection that you and I have experienced in our lives? And that's why I drove all the way from Dallas to Austin, beautiful, beautiful Austin. Gosh, what a great looking place this is. So I could talk to you about the acceptance that is yours in the Beloved. And we're going to look at that. I'm going to unwrap that for you from several scriptures. So if you have your phone, we're going to first turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. It'll be on the screens for you there. You know, Zach has been taking us through a series called the Identity Series. And the first week, he uh, talked about being a new creation. If you were here, um, he talked about your spiritual anatomy. Uh, body, soul, and spirit, and how before we say yes to Jesus, our spirit is dead. It's not alive. And then when we say yes to Christ, when we trust his payment for our sin, and we come into a relationship with him by faith, our spirit comes alive. And that spirit is sealed forever. Nothing ever changes in there. You are made perfect in the eyes of God. You are you're perfected in your spirit. You become a new person. And then all the other things pass away and all things have become new. If you haven't watched that sermon, it's so good. Watch it online so you can catch up if you're new. Then the second week, just last week, you talked about being a difference between being a saint and a sinner. You've heard sometimes um, religious people say, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And Zach debunked that because Christians are never called sinners in the Bible. They're called saints. And saints sometimes sin, don't we? But we're called saints. How you see yourself really matters. How you see yourself really matters. So this is the third part of the identity series. And it's going to be, it's the one I love more than all the other ones. If I get to pick Jesus, this is the one I pick. This is the one I found in Bible college way, way back when, before most of you were even born, when dirt was still new. I was in Bible college and I found this verse. And I loved it. I loved it from the start. And it's Ephesians 1.6. So let's read it together. It says, he predestined us. Um, I got to get it here. He predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. This is in the New American Standard Version. Yours might read a little bit differently. But I love that phrase. He's made us accepted in the beloved. So we're going to take that phrase, just three parts of it, he has made, accepted, and in the beloved. And I want to unwrap that for you biblically and then challenge us with what we've just learned, encourage us with what we've just learned. So let's do that. Let's look at the first phrase here, he has made us. This is in the past tense, he's made us. This is something that's already done, it's accomplished. God did it. The he in that verse, he has made us, is God. God initiates acceptance with you. It's like if you're sitting in this room early before the service starts and somebody walks up to you and initiates greeting you, 
That's what God did in his acceptance. He didn't wait for you to come to him. He didn't ask you to earn his acceptance. He didn't give you a list of do's and don'ts. He didn't say, well, if you try harder or you try to be prettier or try to be smarter, then I'm going to accept you. No. Before time even began, in eternity past, God decided that all of us who would say yes to Jesus, he would make us. He would decide that we would be in the beloved. He would accept us. It's already done. When you say yes to Jesus, you're walking into God's acceptance of you. Now, God loves the whole world, for God so loved the world. But within that loved world, there are people who say yes to Jesus, and they then are the beloved. They have an intimate, personal relationship with God through Jesus and this is what is that powerful antidote for all the other hits we take to our identity. He has made us. It's God's initiation. And when God initiates, we respond. That's really what church is all about. It's to show God's initiation and then for us to respond to him. It's not God laying out a list of rules and regulations and saying work hard and when you reach close to the top. No, it's God walking across an empty room, seeing you sitting alone, extending his hand, saying, I love you. Come. His initiation begets a response. He has made us. I love that. God is an initiator. The second phrase is the word accepted. Second part of the phrase is the word accepted. This is the same word as the word grace in the Greek. This is a derivative of the word charis, which is grace. And interestingly enough, it's only used one other time in the New Testament, and that is in the book of Luke, chapter 1. It'll be up on the screen. We can read it together. It says, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, perhaps this story will come back to you, as you read it, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth um, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was? Mm -hmm. Mary, right, good, very good. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The words highly favored is the word accepted. Okay, now let this sink in. You and I, when we say yes to Christ, are as highly favored as Mary who bore the Christ child. We receive the same favor God gave to Mary we receive that same thing. It's exactly the same word. Those of us who step in to a relationship with Christ are accepted, highly favored, graced. It may say that in the version that you have on your phone. Favor, that's the word grace. That's amazing to me that we would be at that same level as the mother of the Son of God. Especially if you're from a tradition 
that honors Mary greatly. You know how important she was, how God chose her when she was probably about 14 years old, and how amazing she really was. She understood, if you just listen to her Mary's song in Luke chapter 2, there are 45 references to the Old Testament in her song. She was no slouch when it came to the Old Testament. She knew her Bible, or scrolls, whatever you read. You and I have that same favor. If God would visit your house today, wake you up from your nap this afternoon, he would say, greetings. You who are highly favored. Ever think about that? Same favor. That's a beautiful thing. Last one. 